0: Good morning. Welcome to those joining us in the fellowship hall today and also online. If you'd like to use a Bible this morning, you can get one from the ushers as they come up the aisles. We're going to be learning today from a very memorable story that Jesus told in Luke 10, and you can find it on on page 1521 of your Quest Bible. But before we get into that story, I'd like to start with a story of my own. And this story starts with a $14 investment. Last summer, when everyone was preparing for the eclipse, I was invited to go in with a group of people and order some eclipse-viewing glasses. And I thought, well, why not? But when I got them, I was pretty skeptical. They were these flimsy paper glasses, kind of looked like the 3D ones you get at the movie theater. And when you looked through them, you could see nothing. And I mean nothing, completely black. I couldn't imagine you could see anything through those. But I had them, so I threw them in my car on the way up to Mount Carmel Bible Camp in Alexandria, where I'd been invited to be the preacher for a retreat. The day of the eclipse was on the first day of that mini-week of that adult camp on the Book of Romans at Mount Carmel, and about 20 people from church were also driving up to attend that camp with me. And on the drive up, I was listening to the eclipse coverage on the radio from other states. And the more I heard people's stories, the more excited I got to see it myself. But as I drove north, the overcast sky turned into drizzle and then eventually downpour. And I thought, well, that's that. But just as the time came for the eclipse to hit Minnesota, the rain stopped And even though it was still solid overcast, I thought I'd give my $14 investment a try. So I pulled off at a rest stop just outside of Alexandria. And to my surprise, when I got out of my car, there was Gary and Sharon Johnson from Community of Grace, who'd also stopped there on their way up to camp. And so I told them I was going to try my glasses and see if they'd do anything. But I really didn't have much hope. It was so overcast, you couldn't even really tell where the sun was supposed to be. But when I put on those paper glasses, all of a sudden, I gasped, because there it was. That black lens let in only the brightest source of light, so the only thing I could see through them was the sun and that shadow taking a bite out of it. It was like I suddenly had X-ray vision to see through the solid cloud cover. It was amazing. I immediately said to Gary and Sharon, you've got to see this! And I handed them the glasses, and we took turns looking up and gasping and pointing at what seemed to everyone else to be a completely unremarkable overcast sky. The incredible thing was happening right at this moment, and everybody else was missing it. What do you do at a time like that? Well, for me, without even thinking, I screamed at the stranger who was walking past me, hey, do you want to see the eclipse? He looked kind of startled, and he looked at me and said, what? You can see it through that? Yeah. So he took the glasses, and he looked up, and he let an expletive fly, and then he thanked me and handed me back the glasses, and that was it. From that moment on, that rest stop became an impromptu eclipse viewing party. Nobody was getting by us without an invitation to experience it. And you wouldn't believe the cross-section of humanity that we saw in the lakes country in Minnesota in the height of vacation season. We saw people of different races, from different states, different countries even, old and young, big families, people traveling alone, physically handicapped, rich and poor, all grabbing my flimsy little paper glasses to share a moment that couldn't be shared without them. We had 99% participation of every person that walked by that day. Seriously. And I have to say, I think that was the best $14 I've ever spent, and definitely the most fun I've ever had at a rest stop. It was pure joy, because all of those people went from being strangers, slightly suspicious of each other and our differences, to just being fellow human beings, sharing something bigger than all of us. And soon, we weren't the only people passing glasses. Other people joined us. One man donated his glasses to the party before he got back on the road. A couple of welders joined us to hold up their welding glass so several people could see at a time. And it was so beautiful. The rest stop attendant hung out with us the whole time just to watch it all unfold. I don't think he'd ever seen anything like this impromptu party at the potty until the eclipse was over. And then just like that, people went right back to silently walking past each other on their way to more important things. But I will never forget that day, because that eclipse gave me a glimpse into what life would be like if we weren't so afraid to reach out to each other, to see each other's common humanity. We walk around so blind most of the time to the human family around us. It was a day for me of seeing what love sees. And by love... I mean Jesus, God's love among us. I saw in a new way how every human heart beats for the chance to be united in our humanity and what unites us in Jesus so much bigger than a shadow over the sun. So you might be thinking, well, that's a nice story, Angie, but what does it have to do with the Good Samaritan? A lot, I think. Because as I was praying through this story, I just kept thinking about what Jesus is teaching us has a lot to do with what kind of lens we're using when we look at the person in front of us, whether we're looking through a lens of fear or of love. And how often do we let things, even good things, blind us to what's most important to God and for us? So let's take a look at what Jesus is teaching in Luke 10 here's the situation. An expert on the Jewish law is asking Jesus a question that comes from a very particular way of seeing the world. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Because the common theology of the day was that eternal life could be achieved by keeping the law right. And this guy knew the law well, so Jesus turns the question back on him. You're the law expert. What does the law say? How do you read it? And the man answered with Scripture, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus answers, You're right, do that. And you'll live. Now, usually people like being told that they're right. But he didn't. Because the thing is, he didn't really want to be right about that because he had a suspicion of what you and I already know. We can't do that. We don't do that, even when we're trying to do that. In fact, the more we really try to love God with all that we are and love our neighbor with the same kind of love we have for ourselves, the more we can see that we're not actually doing that. None of us love God with all our heart or love our neighbors as we love ourselves, except in certain moments of divine inspiration. And those moments are sweet. We all experience them. We all have them but then comes the rest of our lives, right? We get just enough of a taste to realize what it would be like if we could live that way all the time, and it would be really good. And enough to realize that we usually don't. See, the truth is we don't want this lawyer to be right either. Because if what we need to do to inherit eternal life is live a flawless life of loving God and neighbor, we're sunk. And we know it. But this lawyer didn't know it yet. All he could see was a need for a loophole, so he asked Jesus to narrow it down for him. Who exactly do I have to love to make the cut? Who exactly is my neighbor? But Jesus doesn't answer with a checklist. Instead, he tells a story. Once upon a time, a man was attacked on a road, beaten unconscious and stripped of his clothes. So without clothes, no one can tell if he's rich or poor. And unconscious, he won't be giving away an accent either. So there's, there's no way to know. Is he Jewish? Is he Samaritan? Is he from some other tribe? All we can know is that he's a man who's helpless and bleeding. And into this situation rides a priest and then a Levite, who both work in God's temple. So if there's anyone who should be able to figure out how to correctly obey the law in loving God and neighbor, should be them, right? They're professional law-abiders. Both the priest and the Levite, though, leave this man to die. Why? Why do these men who honor God's laws not help this man? Well, it has to do with what they see. Let's take a look at this priest situation first. Temple priests had a very specific way they were called to serve the community. Nobody else was allowed to fill the role that they had to fill, standing the gap between God and humanity in the temple. And because of that, they had stricter laws to follow than others to protect the holiness and the purity of that role so that they could fulfill that function for all the people. And one of the things they were not supposed to do was get anywhere close to death. Ezekiel 44:25 says, A priest must not defile himself by going near a dead person. However, if the dead person was his father or mother, son or daughter, brother or unmarried sister, then he may defile himself. So pretty strict law. And then on top of that, there were a lot of rabbinical writings at the time that said one should only really help good people because you sin if you enable a bad person to keep on doing bad. And other rabbis taught that a priest must always save a neighbor who is attacked by robbers, meaning a fellow Jew. So think about this poor priest in Jesus' parable. When he saw this man naked and bleeding, unconscious by the side of the road, what did he see? He saw a test. If he's alive, I can touch him. If he's dead, I can't. Now, how do I know if he's dead or not without touching him? Wrong. Well, if he's a good man, then I should help him. But if he's bad, then I'll be perpetuating evil. How do I know? Ah wrong. Is he my neighbor, or is he a dreaded Samaritan? And even if he's alive now, what if he dies on the way? Eh, wrong. You've let down the whole community by not being able to do your duty in the temple. How do I follow the law Right. See, this priest didn't see this man in need through eyes of fear of getting it wrong. He only saw a test he didn't know how to pass. He was so afraid of doing the wrong thing that he did nothing. Have you ever been there? His desperate question was the same as the law experts How do I do the law right? The Levite had a similar struggle. Because of the topography, he probably saw this priest pass by this man from a distance. Now, Levites didn't have to follow the same kind of rules that priests did, but they did look to them for spiritual guidance. And he must have thought, well, the priest knows more than I do, and if he chose to do nothing, maybe that's what I should do. doesn't feel right, but what do I know compared to him? The Levites saw with eyes of fear, too, fear of offending those in power, still fear of getting it wrong. And he walked by. Now, if the professional law keepers can't figure out how to keep both the letter and the spirit of the law at the same time, what kind of hope do we have? Jesus' parable shows us that even if we want to perfectly keep the law, we don't always know how or even if we're actually doing it. Now, that might have been a bit disturbing for Jesus' listeners, but they probably weren't too worried because this is a story. And everybody knows it's the third character in the story who gets it right, right? So what's left? After the priest and then the Levite comes the normal Jewish man, right? That's the sequence of the people who are seeking to honor the law. So they lean in to hear Jesus tell them how a regular Jewish person can be sure they're perfectly fulfilling the law of God, thus earning eternal life. But then, Jesus says, the next person to come down the road is a Samaritan. What? Samaritans didn't even try to pretend to honor the law of God. Worse than that, a few years before this, Samaritans had broken in and intentionally defiled the temple by scattering human bones in it, hideously insulting to the honor and holiness of God. So in the understanding of that time, Samaritan equals the opposite of wanting to keep God's law. So can you imagine Jesus presenting the hero who fulfills the law best as the one who wouldn't even be trying to follow God's law? What is he saying? By making a Samaritan the hero of this story, Jesus is sending a shocking message that what matters to God is not, can't be, a matter of checkboxes of how well we fulfill the letter of the law. That God's saving love is about something so much bigger than our ability to get things right. You see, the problem of sin that we wrestle with isn't really about breaking laws. It's really about idolatry. It's about what we hang our hope on. And if what we're hanging all of our hope on is our getting things right, We're not putting our hope in God, are we? We're putting it in us and our own ability to figure it out and do it right. And that's not faith, that's idolatry of the self. And in a broken and messy world like this one, a theology where we're saved by doing everything right, that's not freedom. That's just a recipe for anxiety, paralysis, failure, depression, right? How could it not be? There's no good end to that story. So what's Jesus telling us in this parable? How in the world can we who really want to love God and love people live the kind of life of holiness and righteousness that God calls us to in his word and live it without being paralyzed by fear? Well, the answer to that is in this question. Why did Jesus make his hero a Samaritan and not just a Jewish layperson? because everyone knew that a Samaritan in this situation would have no thought that this had anything to do with his salvation. What does the Samaritan see? When this Samaritan looks at this man by the side of the road, he has no question in his mind how his action might or might not fulfill a requirement for his own salvation. So he doesn't see this as any kind of trap. He has no fear of getting anything wrong. He just sees a man who needs help, and so he helps. And that heart is the one that echoes the heart of God. You see, the question that started off this whole conversation in the first place is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And if it's love God and neighbor, how do I do it right? And Jesus' answer at the end of this parable is, love like a Samaritan. Love like your salvation has nothing to do with your getting it right because it doesn't, because it can't. That's the whole reason Jesus had to come into this broken world because he is the only one who can carry that heavy burden. The lawyer asked Jesus, who's my neighbor, hoping to find a way he could still achieve salvation himself, but he didn't know the rest of the story of God's saving grace that we know through the cross of Jesus. That it's only by God's mercy that we can have eternal life. That it's only by Jesus' righteousness interfering with our brokenness that that standard could ever be met. Not by our righteousness, but by Jesus' righteousness in our place. I wonder how long that lawyer had to ponder Jesus' words before he was forced to recognize that he could not redeem himself. And that was the point. Maybe in that moment, he came to see the truth that he was, and we are, in our sin, as helpless, as defenseless, as vulnerable as that man beaten, stripped, and bleeding at the side of the road. That man could not bind his own wounds, He couldn't save his own life. He couldn't pay the debt for his own healing. And the priest with his regulations and the Levite with his temple practice couldn't redeem him either. They were too busy trying to redeem themselves. And they couldn't fulfill the law any more than he could. So what hope is there for that man and for us? Our salvation can only come from someone completely outside You see, salvation comes to this wounded man not because of who he is. We never find out his identity. Salvation comes to him not because of what he can give. He's been robbed of anything he could possibly contribute. Salvation comes not because of what he's done. He's been unconscious, this whole story. Salvation comes to this man only by a costly act of compassionate love, freely given And that is exactly how our salvation comes to us in Jesus Christ. See, the truth is, the lawyer's question, what must I do to inherit eternal life, is a nonsensical question. What can anyone do to inherit anything? Someone has to die for someone else to inherit, right? And if something's inherited, then it's not earned. It can only be received. Romans 5 says, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, Jesus saw our hopeless situation of a salvation we could never earn, and he took on his own shoulders our death. And he bound our wounds And with his own life, he paid for our healing and our redemption. And he paid the price not only to forgive us, but to free us. To free us from the anxiety-laden idolatry of thinking salvation must depend on us earning something we can never earn. If we see ourselves in this parable as the priest or the Levite, we're convicted of our inability to live up to the law. If we see ourselves as the good Samaritan, we're convicted of our failure to live with that kind of selflessness. It's only when this parable drives us to our knees and shows us we can't do what this lawyer is trying to do, to earn salvation by our righteousness, when it shows us that we are the wounded ones in need of saving help, that Jesus becomes our good Samaritan, despised and rejected, acquainted with grief for our sake. And when when that happens, then we hear these words of Jesus in a little different way. Go and do likewise. Go and love like that. Go and love not like a law expert trying to gain spiritual points for your own salvation. Go and love like a Samaritan. Go and love like you are free to love imperfectly, Because you are. Love, knowing your debt has already been paid. Your salvation gained for you by the only one who can. Be set free now to see not with eyes of anxiety and fear, but see what Jesus sees. What love sees. Because you have been set free by his love for you. Set free to simply be a human being in need of God's grace. See, I feel like for so many, this story can be like a solidly overcast sky, a picture of a consistently impossible standard that none of us feel we can adequately achieve. But there's so much more going on. But you can only see the amazing thing happening in this parable if you see through the lens of the costly investment Jesus has made for you, his cross, his resurrection, your freedom, your salvation. We see God's amazing self-sacrificial love for us in Jesus through whose death we inherit grace completely undeserved when we were still helpless in sin. When we look at the world through that lens, that's when the power of the Son of God cuts through the clouds of our fear and doubt, and suddenly we can start to see the amazing thing that unites us, God's love. God's invitation into something so much bigger than us. Through seeing what his love sees, we're set free to see those around us, not as tests or as threats, but as fellow human beings who all need that same amazing gift. You see, when our salvation doesn't rest on us, but on the one who first chose to love us, we're set free to love without fear. So do you know that Jesus came to be that Savior for you? Will you let his love in? And will you let that love pour out through you? When you're tied up in knots of fear and anxiety, remember the one who loved you first. Look at him. Remember what love sees. And then hear Jesus' words. Go love like a Samaritan. Love imperfectly freely. Love even Eagles fans. And in that day, you'll show the world a glimpse of the joy happening in heaven with every heart that receives only what can be seen by the Son of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, your beautiful parable drives us to our knees. We thank you for paying the price for our healing, for our restoration, for setting us free to live out of the joy of your love. We pray today that you would give us the courage to go and do likewise, to love imperfectly, Lord, and to help us see what your love sees both in us and in our neighbor. We love you, Lord. Love through us. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.